Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Thursday, November 30th. I'm Hannah Floor. Power was restored to Wrangell Island's Southside residence on Tuesday. Meanwhile, maintenance crews are still removing the debris from the fatal landslide that killed four people on November 20th. Two others remain missing. The State Department of Public Safety said in a press release that the search in the slide zone is in reactive status. But if any new information emerges, the Alaska State Troopers might restart an active search. Scent detection dogs will be available for that. Vanita Copeland is an emergency management specialist with the State Emergency Operations Center. She's in Wrangell helping community members apply for state individual assistance. She says that in emergencies like the landslide, the state tries to replace or give funds for damaged homes and personal property, such as cars and appliances. Appliances are often covered, you know, um, like the refrigerators or the freezers, since subsistence is such a huge thing in hunting just in general. Um, So things like that. The program works with individuals on a case-by-case basis. Copeland says those who have a home or personal property that was damaged from the landslide have the greatest chance of receiving aid. The type that would qualify would be the ones where it's very clear cut, like the family that was very, very close to the slide and trees took out part of their property. But thank heavens they were safe in their homes. That would be a fairly safe idea that that should generally qualify. Samovia Highway is open to residents, but only for limited times a day. Crews continue to remove debris and stabilize the slope on the slide site. Community members have expressed concern about the integrity of the Wrangell Dam closer to town. The State Department of Natural Resources said in a press release that the dam does not show signs of failure. Aerial surveys will be used to monitor the stability and safety of the area around the slide zone. Mason Valarma is Wrangell's interim borough manager. He is currently in Washington, D.C., where he's talking with the Federal Emergency Management Agency and the Alaska delegation. He says that the landslide response is moving quicker than expected, although solutions won't be immediate. It's going to be a long, long journey. I don't think the recovery is a, you know, one week to a couple months thing. I think it's going to be, you know, a five-year process. Valarma is expected to return to Wrangell on Friday. Petersburg's Claussen Memorial Museum has a new director. Maureen Floyd was hired this month and started work immediately. KFSK has the story. Maureen Floyd says it's a dream come true to be the director of the Claussen Memorial Museum. I always, you know, thought what a great job it would be to work in a museum. And I had a friend that um, was a curator for a small museum. And I thought I was so jealous of his job. Floyd studied archaeology and English at the University of Oregon. But after a brief stint doing field work on a dig, life took her in a different direction. She helped her dad out with the family business after he took ill and then eventually went into nursing. She says she never lost her love of history, but after she moved to Petersburg about four years ago, she didn't immediately visit the museum. I had not been in the museum. We had COVID and everything else. And then the summer for my birthday, the kids, my kids took me and I just fell in love with it. Floyd began volunteering at the museum and then found out the position of museum director was open, but she was hesitant to apply. She wasn't sure she was qualified. Her kids pushed her to do it anyway. I wasn't going to try. And they said, you know, mom, this is your dream job. You need to go and do it. The Clausen Memorial Museum is a small nonprofit organization. It keeps limited hours and is funded mainly by admission fees and its small gift shop. 
Grants have also helped fund projects and exhibits. Floyd says she plans to continue applying for grants. I'm a little nervous. I have never written a grant, but I have probably six books I just purchased. Floyd is the first to admit that she has a lot to learn, but she's enthusiastic. There isn't anything I'm not excited about. I'm a little overwhelmed, I will admit. (laughs) She has lots of ideas. She's interested in events that bring younger folks to the museum, like an open mic night. She says she loves to collaborate on projects and plans to reach out to the Petersburg Arts Council. She'd like to form some sort of partnership with Petersburg's Norwegian dancers to bring more tourists through the museum. And she says she's planning to get in touch with the local Alaska natives to try and get them more involved in the museum. And Floyd says she's excited to just explore the archives. Oh my gosh, I could spend a day or a week in there. Um, There's so many neat things. Floyd encourages community members to reach out and share their ideas as well. She can be found at the museum Monday through Friday from 1 until 5 p.m. and from noon until 5 on Saturdays. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. And the Klasa Memorial Museum has a new exhibit tomorrow. Local artist Suzanne Fuqua's mixed-media art show Before, After, and In Between will be up through December 14th. The artist reception is tomorrow from 5 until 7 p.m. And the museum is located on Fram Street between 2nd and 3rd. Whatever the season, southeast Alaska is green. From the mixed conifer forest to the roadside shrubbery, there is a lot of green, but not all of it is benign. An invasive species has found a home along southeast highways, pushing out native blueberry and salmonberry bushes. And experts at a recent gathering in Sitka are determined to eradicate it. Robert Woolsey reports from Sitka. It comes from Japan, and it can't be stopped. You can't burn it, drown it, or bury it. Concrete is nothing but so much dust in its path. What is it? Godzilla! Actually, it's worse than Godzilla. It's Japanese knotweed, and it's been quietly taking over many roadways in southeast Alaska. This plant possesses supernatural qualities, unearthly qualities that are not of this world. John Hudson is with the Southeast Alaska Watershed Coalition in Juneau. He spoke at the Alaska Invasive Species Partnership Conference in Sitka in November. He is working on ways to destroy a plant that is almost indestructible. Apparently you can douse it with salt water. Doesn't suffer too much from that. You can take the cuttings and toss it in the ocean for a couple of days and it'll just wash up somewhere else and take root. If you're crazy enough to bury this stuff, Dig the hole 15 feet deeper, deeper, because it can remain dormant underground for 20 years. Hudson says it is the most invasive plant in Alaska, and it's often called the most invasive plant in the world. Like Godzilla, it appears bent on destroying the civilization that unleashed it. And the frickin' thing can grow through buildings, brick buildings. Look at that. This plant grew through a brick building and out the roof. The picture Hudson used to illustrate knotweed growing through a building was captioned, Relax, this is Britain. In Alaska, knotweed prefers not the urban zone, but the urban fringe, especially habitat where the much-loved salmonberry grows and which it will eventually smother. There are about 400 knotweed infestations in Juneau and a bit less in Sitka, but only because Sitka's road system is smaller. The infestation is only partly the plant's fault, The reason knotweed loves highway pullouts and remote turnarounds is because that's where people put it. Hudson calls it Dump Your Stuff Sunday, an American tradition to discreetly drive out the road somewhere on the weekend 
and dump old appliances, furniture, and sometimes yard waste. He put up another picture of a pile of dead leaves and branches someone had thrown out beside the road in Juneau. Among all the brown stems were two that were bright green. Well, if you look closely at that yard waste pile, this appears to be viable stalks of knotweed there, and it doesn't care that it's fall or that winter's coming. It'll survive the winter, and two years later, exactly, there you have it, a nice little knotweed patch. It will double the next year, double again the next year, keep doubling, and at some point in time, a hydro axe or a mowing unit or a snow plow will come along, and it will move it. And that's where the rest of those knotweed infestations come from. No one is quite sure how knotweed came to Alaska. Almost certainly it arrived as an ornamental. It is quite beautiful. And probably by a gardener and not by a gold miner or, as is rumored, by famed naturalist John Muir. However it arrived, Hudson is committed to ousting it. He's found a recipe of 2%, the herbicide Roundup Custom, and 1% surfactant sprayed directly on foliage late in the growing season will knock down knotweed, but only if you diligently reapply annually for several years. He's been lucky to win the help of the State Department of Transportation with this work, and he soon may have another colleague. Oregon State University researcher Fritzi Grovstad traveled to Japan to find knotweed's natural enemy. So this is a picture from Japan, and this is kind of... Often, knotweed looks like this. It's very, very shabby looking, and that's because there's a variety of insects feeding on it. Knotweed in Japan is engaged in an eternal struggle with a small insect, a psyllid, which evolved to eat it specifically. Grovstad joined an international team that traveled the length of Japan in 2007 collecting psyllids, feeding on all three varieties of knotweed, and brought them back for testing against a number of native North American species related to knotweed. After nine years of testing, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service issued a finding of no significant impact, and Grovestad was granted a release permit, giving us a tiny ally in the battle against this invasive. They're very effective at damaging and killing knotweed. But it doesn't necessarily mean the knotweed problem is solved. Grovestad has been developing a biocontrol program in the Pacific Northwest, releasing thousands of psyllids in eight states over the last three years. And what worked pretty well in the greenhouse under laboratory conditions has not been as successful in the field, with populations of psyllids failing to survive beyond a couple of winters. Predation by North American critters like ants may prevent psyllids from surviving, along with other factors that may or may not be present in Alaska. Grovstad says she doesn't know what would happen if psyllids were released here. They may like this environment better, she says. Even if biocontrol works, John Hudson warned the members of the Alaska Invasive Species Partnership to never let down their guard against knotweed or whatever comes next. Spoiler alert here. Everybody's aware of that capsule of soil from an asteroid that NASA's sitting on. They haven't quite opened it up yet. Have you heard of this? They collected soil off an asteroid 100 million miles away. I know what's in it. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. The Alaska Fisheries Development Foundation has tapped a Kodiak local as its new leader. <clears throat> Excuse me, as its new leader. The nonprofit, which was founded under the Magnuson-Stevens Fisheries Conservation and Management Act, has selected Christy Clement as the organization's new chief executive officer. That's according to a press release dated yesterday. 
Clement grew up in Port Lyons in the Kodiak Archipelago and also serves as the chairperson of the Afognak Native Corporation Board of Directors, according to the release. She said in the release that she looks forward to collaborating with the organization's board and staff and to, quote, ensure that Alaska's blue economy is well-positioned for future growth. The AFDF has members across the state, including fishermen and representatives from several processors. Juno's pinball community has created a space where women can play without as much pressure. Women's only nights. Anyone who identifies as a woman or non-binary can play, and those who go say it's often more fun than the usual tournaments. Von Kremry has this story. Tawny Letterman plays in the typical Tuesday night tournaments, but she loves the encouraging environment of women's nights. A lot less peacocking. <laughs> the men have to be like... She's demonstrating a strut. You see that? I love that. The women are like, good ball, babe. Yeah. <laughs> it's the third women's night at the Barricade in Juneau. Kristen Bailey is checking the scores. It's more mellow. It is way more relaxed. Way more mellow. It's way more relaxed. It's more of a, like, a funner, like, show vibe. They aren't competitive with each other. When one player plays an especially good round, everyone shares her excitement. Like when Sarah Snyder won the tournament. Her first win, after a final round that was evenly matched until the end. Uh, For probably about a year, year and a half now, I've been playing pinball, and so to be able to like actually win any sort of tournament, I just won like the women's tournament. So far, three different women have won each women's tournament. And they're all pretty happy with that. But they are more competitive when it comes to the upcoming state tournament in Sitka. It'll be the first in Alaska. We're all, like, hella focused. We're all already, like, none of us are going to drink. Like, all of us are going to, like, no one's getting stoned. Like, we're all, like, we've already, like, talked about strategies. <laughs> like, should we get another jacket? The top 16 players in Alaska will compete in the state championship in January. Five of the qualifying players are women, and all of them play in Juneau. Reporting from the Barricade in Juneau, I'm Yvonne Crumery. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.